and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only podcast that got a, li- got a life-sized cardboard cut out into the Allianz Park at the weekend. We'll have more on that later. Um, I am Cami Black, and joining me is the man who took that very cutout down to Alli- the Allianz Park. It's Ian Hay. Hello, you may call me the mole. <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us in the usual ways. Uh, this blog itself, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, we've got quite a lot of stuff going on there in the next week or so. Um, get in touch with us on Twitter, at scottrugbyblog, at Cami Black. We're on Facebook too. We've got an Instagram account that we occasionally update when we remember to do it. Um, you can also email us podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. And we've had an email this week. Um, we've had a couple actually. Um, one is from Mac Mark Camburn, uh, who got in touch with a crap call off, um, which is our regular feature where we ask you to send in a name and shame uh, members of your club or former members of former clubs, um, basically anyone who's given a, a crap reason for calling off a training or a game. Now, Mark lives in Bolivia, so this is possibly our furthest flung listener. I know we've got a, a group of three listeners in Sweden who all know each other, apparently, um, but this, I think, is like the furthest furthest anyone's ever contacted from. If anyone can beat Bolivia, um, then, then do get in touch. But anyway, Mark plays for the Santa Cruz Rugby Club. And he says, uh, on Tuesday, this is last Tuesday, the president of the club said that he couldn't train because he'd fallen out with his mum and she'd thrown him out of the house and wouldn't let him back in for his clothes. He's 30. Mark says he offered to lend him some kit, um, but, but he didn't seem keen. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's a new one, certainly. I know, there's a lot um, to unpick there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> president and uh, still living in the basement. Yep. Base, yeah. Um, I think that's probably up there with the best one we ever had, which was pony tracking with your granny at twenty-three. Yeah, that was a good. One. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, we'll start with the news. Um, Tim Swinson is out for the rest of the season. Um, not so good news for uh Glasgow Warriors. Um, we wish him well. Um, there have been various SRU uh shenanigans. Um, since we were last on air, various um, meetings and um, comings and goings and AGMs. Um, if you go on the offside line, um, David Barnes does an excellent job of covering all that in much more detail than we do. What we're hoping to do is have some sort of special episode to wrap it all up uh, towards the end of the season, maybe invite a few people from clubs along to give their views and a bit of insight into what's actually going on. Um, congratulations to Berwick. Um, I know other clubs do exist outside of Berwick, um, uh, in the club scene, but but it's my you know essentially I'm in charge of this podcast, so I can say well done, Beric. You've been promoted to National Three, uh, and they're off to Murrayfield to play in the Shield final. So um, we are also looking at doing a bit of a special, not just because it's Beric um, and I'm biased, but just to give an insight into the sort of preparations that a club go through uh, and the sort of season that they've had. Maybe give you a bit of an insight into um, club rugby. Um, over on the blog, Rory's been looking at the current state of Scotland's World Cup squad. Uh, based on who's injured and who's available at the moment, he posted that thinking Tommy Seymour was injured and literally five minutes later, uh, Tommy Seymour was announced in the Glasgow squad. It's uh, incredible powers of recovery, does Tommy? Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Lazarus-like uh, resurrection uh, there. So yeah, go and have a look at that. Um, the forwards, I understand, are going to be posted at some point early next week and then we'll pick that up on the blog and we'll pick up some of your comments too. Uh, Glasgow Warriors have signed someone. I'm trying to find out who it is. George Thornton, they've signed, um, who was a Scotland under-20s prop and he was playing down at Wasps. Um. Do we do, Glasgow desperate for a, for a prop, a young young prop? Do you think, Ian? Uh, well, seeing as Jamie Batty's going across the the road to Edinburgh, um, you'll be filling in for him, I suppose. Uh, that actually, when Jamie Batty was warming up down at Saracens, I managed to catch his, catch his attention by shouting out at him and tell him not to go to Edinburgh because it's rubbish, um, <laughs> which which seems to raise a smile. I was a few yeah. pints down by this point, obviously, but that's <laughs> that's why I think George Thornton's coming in there. Yeah. Um, the in other news, uh, the Pro 14 is definitely getting reshuffled next season. They said they'd they'd see how they went for two years and then reshuffle it every two years based on form and the likes. Um, 
as it stands at the moment, that would mean Conference A would be Leinster, Connacht, Scarlet, Ospreys, Glasgow, Zebra and Cheetahs. And then in Conference B, Munster, Ulster, Cardiff Blues, Dragons, Edinburgh, Benetton and the Southern Kings. Um, it doesn't really affect the Scottish teams too much because they are always in separate conferences. But but obviously there's been a bit of a, there's likely to be a bit of a reshuffle at the end of the season just to try and uh, balance things out. Um before we get on to um, the European action at the weekend, just to say later in the podcast, we are speaking to Rory Lawson about Glasgow and Embers games um, coming up at the weekend. Um, we also had a bit of a chat with him about um, his debut season as, as a commentator, which was quite interesting, and as well as the future of the Barbarians in the face of the... Um, the, the, this new proposed international season because um, he is one of the the uh, barbarian committee members uh, one of the younger ones uh, apparently uh, so it's quite an interesting chat we had uh, Ian in the interests of not being accused of bias uh, like we always are let's start with Edinburgh first um, let's the um, kind of I mean you, you can't from an Edinburgh point of view they didn't do themselves any you know they've come away with their reputation intact. I think they've shown they can sort of mix it with the big boys. The 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 sort of European run the season wasn't a fluke. Um, well, I mean it seems to be the same same problem as it is with the national team. We we can run the big teams close, but we can't get over the line. Um, you know they certainly put in a decent show as as they did when they played Munster last year. In the, Pro 14 playoffs. Nobody gave Edinburgh a chance, really, but it was a. Uh, it seemed like well, it was a game that they, they should really have won, and again, it was the same on Saturday. Um, so we we still seem to have this sort of. I don't know if it's like a psychological barrier, but uh, just you know this ability to to come through in games, but should really win. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Again, it it, the psychological things interesting. I mean, that the first monster try where. Um, and the the main one of the main talking points was was the the Pergos slap down and then the followed up by the Connor Murray, Murray suplex on Pergos. Um, I think even Connor Murray has now come out and accepted that the penalty against Pergos should have been reversed. But conversely, I don't understand what Pergos was trying to do slapping down a ball five meters from his line because that's a yellow card. Yeah, it was a bit suicidal, wasn't it? I mean, but that's that's the thing. Um, like we were sort of saying about a psychological sort of barrier, this is at a time when Munster were down to 14 men, and just a couple of minutes beforehand, Edinburgh are knocking on the door, and they, you know, they um, they managed to concede possession. You know, the the pick and go that was just the Munster red line held held firm, and then just a couple of minutes later, they're able to to you know turn that attacking position into points against the run of play. Um, yeah, it's it seems to be a same old sort of problem. I know, and you wonder if it's the same old. Play. It's, I think it's. I know we've we've talked again. We talk about sort of the next generation of of Scotland players that are coming through, and the next generation of Glasgow and Edinburgh players that have maybe been more used to winning. Um, and so Pergus is a bit of a throwback to sort of the, I suppose the the, the darker days of of uh, Scottish rugby, and and you wonder whether there's still that. I don't want to say stench hanging around because that seems harsh, but the, you know, the, <laughs> with the older players, that sort of the, the, uh, they still carry the old mentality. I mean, everyone's I've, I've worked at places before where everyone talks about the good, the dark, you know, the dark old days or the good old days, or you weren't here before, and you wonder how much of that sticks around until those players leave. Um, I mean, it's not necessary progress on his own, but it's that you know, it was a massive brain fart what he did, slapping it. Out there, there was no need to do it. He conceded the penalty, and Munster scored. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one, the psychological thing. I wonder whether it will change. We'll start to see a change the more sort of the older players start to retire, and whether the younger players coming through will have a different mindset. See, I wouldn't necessarily put Pergos in that that bracket because you know he his breakthrough was maybe what thirteen, fourteen. So he's he's a pro twelve winner. Yeah, you know, he started that. He started that final. Um, I don't know if it was just maybe a, you know, a, an attempt to try and show up a show up his opposite half, perhaps. Um, you know, given the, the prestige with which Cora Murray is um, <laughs> uh, paraded with, you know, at least he didn't go for his standing leg. Not true. Um, 
No, it, seemed, it didn't seem like the, the wisest of choice, choices at the time, and so it proved. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about his box kicking as well, and the, um, Sandy's done a really good uh, article about the game on the blog, which is worth looking at. And he, he was talking about box kicking in terms of it's not it's not about the box kick itself. It's about the sort of three or four phases on from the box kick and what are the team trying to what positions are they trying to get in to get the ball back to then attack? So just because they're kicking it up doesn't necessarily mean they're giving away possession. Although, as he points out, Henry Pergos isn't ne- his execution and his box kicking skills aren't good enough to do what maybe um, Ember are trying to do. And I wonder whether that's the. I mean, that's probably the Ember's main weakness at the moment is scrum half, because across the park, I can't really think of any other areas that they're pretty strong. This you know the pack solid. They've got, you know, um, Van der Volt, um, I haven't got the music queued up, unfortunately, everyone, um, is, you know, he's he's really come on as a 10. Um, they, they've got good depth at centre. The the back line is, it, it, I think, probably, you know, it's a couple of injuries away from a crisis, but, you know, the, all the starters are there. It's only, num- it's only nine, really, where they're struggling, and you, I, I, I can't see where, where a nine is coming from, and that's maybe a worry for Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying about their strength and depth, the fact that they were able to keep probably Scotland's best player of the Six Nations, Jamie Ritchie, you know, he was he was on the bench. I mean, Magnus Bradbury sitting on the bench, you know, um, across the way here, one of them would walk into the Glasgow team, you'd imagine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Dean and Johnson, they've certainly, obviously, what with injury problems for Scott and Bennett, who you would imagine if you looked at the names in the end of a team sheet, they'd be your first choice centre combo, but, uh, you know, they've had long-term injury problems. Um, yeah, I mean, Char- Charlie Shield, there's a sort of bit of hope pinned on him, but, um, you know, is, is he ready? Uh, probably not. He's played very little game time. A lot of people seem to dislike Nathan Fowles. Um, and, you know, is, is Pergos, is he good enough to to be the starting ten at a club like Edinburgh? Um, that's why he moved there. Uh, and has well, he's had some terrific matches. Um, but it does seem to be if he's kicking games off, that can perhaps skew uh, your overall interpretation of his game. Yeah, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, the only other player that that sort of is ready to go would be Finlay Christie, who's in his last year of his contract with the Hurricanes, and he's one of these players that's constantly talked about because he. I, I think mainly everyone gets very excited when there's a Super Rugby player <laughs> who's got yeah. qualified. They're like, oh, get him in. He plays in Super Rugby. Well, he must be good. He's, his surname's Christy and he's Ginger. He's definitely one of ours. Yeah. But I think he was he was born in Scotland and he moved moved yeah. um, moved when he was seven. But he's 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 behind TJ Penara. So he's not and he's not getting when I looked, he's not getting starts. He's, his contract up. It's be a big move for him to come back here but it's he surely would be worth giving it a go not least because that is the final piece of the jigsaw for Embra. well unless we're maybe wanting to tempt somebody like Ben Velicott, um north of very Baldor. true yeah that's another option um yeah but you know obviously going from super rugby to northern hemisphere rugby it's it's quite a big difference and people who you know, people, some players turn up with uh, big reputations and don't really fulfil them. No, that's very yeah. That's also very true because that's a, there's been you know more than an, more than enough players sort of parachuted in the Pro 14 from Super Rugby who've struggled. Yeah, um, the uh, the lesser spotted Lilia Masanga, for example. <laughs> uh, no, but I think he's maybe played. Has he played for Air more than he's played? Is it Air or Sterling? Has he played for them more than he's played uh, for Glasgow? I think, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's Sterling he's signed to, but yeah. no, um, you know, everyone gets excited. We've got this, you know, oh, Dave Rennie's coming in, that's great. He'll bring in some Southern Hemisphere recruits. And, um, you know, players like, well, Kyle Stain, for example, he's been parachuted in from from virtually nowhere uh, to to starting ahead of Masanga. The same with Robbie Nairn, he's getting preferred. Um, you know, there's, so there's, there's uh, certainly... Uh, an acclimatisation issue, yeah. uh, you could possibly call it, with some players. Um, speaking of um, Super Rugby players who were parachuted into the Pro 14, um, Pierre Schumann's uh, sh- tap 
on uh-huh. uh, Tagburn. Um, I, this was Craig Simpson's hands in the rock, but I'm going to talk it now because we're talking about the Emra game. Um, Conor Murray, unsurprisingly, because he is Conor Murray, has come out in defence of, of Tagburn and said he was entitled to go down the way he did. Um, where do you fall on? So are you are you the in the, the the side that says? I mean, there's three ways of looking at this. One is this isn't football. We don't dive to the floor like we've just been shot. Another way of looking at it is to say he made the mo- He was entitled to make the most of it to draw the referee's attention to it. And there's a third way of looking at it, which is Schumann shouldn't have done it in the first place. I'm probably I'm probably in the latter camp in that. It's you know I think everybody's quite rightly commented on Burns' behaviour, but ultimately it was Schumann's fault. Yeah, I'm I'm a part part A part C. Um, yes, he shouldn't have done it. Uh, you know, Burn. It's not so much the overreaction itself; it's the fact that he stays down injured, which I think is is particularly reprehensible. Like he has to get physio treatment for it. You know, if he, if he makes his little dive, then gets back up. Well, you know, he draws the ref's attention to to Schumann's dangerous block, um, <laughs> and then you know, then he if he gets back up, like oh look at that, he changed lane, bumped into me, you know, obstructed me penalty. But it's the fact that he stays down and then has to get physio treatment. Yeah. For you know, that's that's gone full Neymar. That has, <laughs> and that's that's just one of the worst insults you can pay to anyone. I feel. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I think the other thing, I, I think it's like you were talking about earlier about the psychological side of things as well. In the in terms of you've got a penalty, it's not the time to be doing little niggly things like that, and really, Ember, you know, that's the sort of thing that Ember and Glasgow are, are going to have to cut out. I think if they if they, if they want to be genuine contenders in Europe, you can't, you know, give the referee any reason to start reversing penalties. Or learn how to get away with it. Yes, exactly. Be more yeah. subtle. Yeah. Tap somebody <laughs> on this. Yeah. Knock into somebody that's not going to fall over. Um, <laughs> they've just been shot. Um, we'll, we'll we'll move on then, because um, I don't want to prolong Edinburgh fans' agony any more than it already has been. Um, the Glasgow game, Ian, um, how did you get a cardboard cutout of a full-size person into the Alliance Park? Um, well, I asked. Um, <laughs> do they not have bag limits, like at Murrayfield? Uh, no. Well, we did uh, We did wonder that ourselves. Like, how, how much can we fold this up? Um, no, but, uh, you know, obviously, uh, well, that story, was it Leinster fans that weren't allowed to take flags into when, uh, was it the wreck? They were playing yep. Bath. Yeah, on health and safety grounds, I thought, well, maybe maybe I should contact them just to make sure they're all right about me bringing this cardboard cutout in. Should, should I maybe just explain the whole story? You should to do, the I think, otherwise yes. it's going to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why, why are you taking this? Um, so, uh, yes, now, me and my girlfriend Rona were going down for the game, uh, and, well, like the last time we went down to Saracens, and uh, me... Pretty much every other Glasgow home game, I've been accompanied by uh, my good friend Andy, uh, Andy Nickel, but he is on honeymoon in Japan at the moment. Uh, so I jokingly said one night, you know what, I, I should get like a lifeboard cut out of you and take it down just so you're there in spirit. And he said, I actually have a lifeboard cut out of myself. Um, <laughs> the reason for it is he, he owns a tattoo studio, he owns Kraken Studios in Renfrew, and so uh, if there's a convention on and he's not able to make it, they take uh, they take a cardboard cutout of the owner of the shop with them, so it just so happens he had one spare, and uh, yes, it came down in the car with us. That eventful car journey of mine, where I lost my vaporizer, which was about a hundred quid worth of gear, <laughs> and then got pulled over by the police for an illegal lane change. Mm, <laughs> what's an illegal yes. lane change? Oh well, no, I, I went across the the white diagonal lanes because I was I was in the wrong. Well, this thing ah, you're going down. You're going down to London. You see, you just look at the sign. It says London, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> then it splits into two. It's like, do you want the north and the east, or do you want the south and the west? Because it's, it's the M1 for the former, M40 for the latter. I needed I the latter, but I was in the M1 lane, so I thought, oh, better jump over here. Um, so yes, so uh, got pulled over for that, got away with it. I was polite and correct. You know, the police were very, 
you know, very uh, forgiving. So that was nice of them. I'm yep. just going to keep being nice so I don't get three points on my license. <laughs> um, very good. Um, so, so no, no is, is that maybe the answer then, do you think, to um, people who are complaining about the bag size limits at Murrayfield is to somehow get a life-size cardboard cut out of someone, take it with you with and, and stuff its pockets with things? Yes, what to do is just say that it's in the interest of comedy um, <laughs> that you're taking this ridiculously sized, uh, oversized piece of luggage with you and, um, you know, uh, then they'll be fine with that. But, no, nah, I, th- I mean, this is a thing we could maybe speak about later. If it, it might be my hands in the rock, might not. I'm thinking about other stuff. Um <laughs> But you know, Saracens they they give they put on a good day out. You know, this is one thing that uh, people are complaining about in Murrayfield. You almost feel like you're getting chased out <laughs> whenever you're there. But you know, the um, yeah, the Saris know how to put on an event and make you feel welcome. So it softens the blow, doesn't it, after a a thirty point loss? Yeah, after a chastening, yes, <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah. Um, in terms of the game, I mean, the, the one interesting thing that I mean, Jonathan Davis has come out today and said. Uh, Jonathan Humphrey, sorry, not Jonathan Davis, is saying that Glasgow players don't have enough European knockout qualification experience. But you look at that Glasgow team, there's plenty of players in there with big game experience with Scotland. So that can't be used as an That's been an excuse since year dot with Glasgow. It can't. How, I mean, how long can they realistically use that as an excuse for not doing well in Europe? Um, well, the, what I will say is the back line. Uh, it wasn't the most experienced, was it? The likes of Stain, Rory Hughes, um, Stafford McDowell. You know, these are these are guys who you wouldn't usually expect to start uh, yeah. a match of such magnitudes. Um, but uh, you know, to go back to see what, what we're talking about with the sort of psychological element of it in the Edinburgh game, you don't know. Players won't know how to react under the pressure until they're exposed to the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that Saracens unit, a lot of them have been together for a long time. Um, you know they're they're always at the business end of competitions. Um, so they you know they have that pressure. They they know what it's like to play up with that pressure. A yeah. lot of the Glasgow players don't. And the ones the ones who maybe did like um, Stuart Hogg. I mean Hogg. Let's be honest, he had a bit of a nightmare. Um, ball in hand, he was quite threatening when we did have the the ball in hand but he was uh, he was one of the main guys responsible for doing the the cardinal sin that you don't want to do against Saracens and that's giving the ball back with good field position so he kicked out two restarts on the full missed touch with a penalty uh, and there's a kick out on the full and if you're just going to invite that pressure on eventually that that tells yeah and especially that terrible lid <laughs> that is unforgivable yeah. yeah if you're going to draw attention to yourself like that you'd better be damn good <laughs> um, um, it was an interesting. I mean, I'm not going to prolong your agony too much with the Glasgow loss. Um, but the, there was an article I saw. Um, I'm not going to say who where, where it was, but you can find it if you want to. It's somebody writing an article suggesting that, that Dave Rennie isn't all that and hasn't been that great for Glasgow, and the team hasn't kicked on under him in the way it should have, but. I I just wonder whether it's like comparing apples and oranges because you know that Glasgow team was was already good when he when Rennie took over, so the the you know he's got them, and he secured two playoffs positions for them in the first two seasons he's been in charge. He's you know got them to a European quarter final. He's the 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 rate of change and the amount of change he's able to affect is much less than Richard Cockerell was able to do it because he had to start from scratch was Dave Reddy's already coming in to a successful team do you think that yeah maybe skews Glasgow fans views a little bit on Dave Rennie uh, I think was that the the pens article in scrum magazine was it it was yes yeah um I, I, I don't know I mean I, I felt it was a little bit harsh uh Yes, Dave Rennie has come in and he's inherited the squad, which had a, a bunch of big names to it, you know, just before he'd started. Hogg had re-signed um, Dunbar, who's, who's on a, you know, a pretty decent wage at Glasgow. Um, you know, there was... The foundations were better laid there, uh, shall we say. And, you know, it was... You know, he was seen as a progression. Um, you know, his particular brand of rugby was just seen as a sort of logical progression from Townsend. Um, has recruitment been 
done properly? Possibly not. You know, like we were saying, Masanga, for example, he's not really set the heather alight. The the nuke hasn't been up to much. Nick Frisbee, jury's still out. Um, Tamalau, uh, Davita Tamalau, the big number eight we were all hoping would be the number eight we're looking for. Again, he's not really setting it up. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't really think regression would be fair, but shut up Windows notifications. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, given the, the sort of talent that has been lost, guys like Finn Russell, uh, Makarawa, it's almost impossible to replace him. Um, I don't really think we've regressed, but maybe we've not kicked on as much as people would have hoped because it seems to be the same issues that we're talking about year after year and that, you know, we're getting bullied up front. Yes, the backs are great, but if we don't get quick ball for them, if we can't, you know, get some kind of parity up front um, and make sure we're getting over the game line when we carry, you know, keep it tight, then that's going to, you know, draw the same criticisms and that's maybe why it feels like regression. Yeah. I mean, there's got a for- uh, the Glasgow in need of a new forwards coach as well, aren't they, come next season? Uh, yes. Yeah, they will be. Um, Humphreys is off to Wales, I think. Off to the Wales set up underway in Pitt. Yes, the international set up, yeah. Um, that'll be true. And, well, there's also these rumours hanging over Dave Rennie's uh, job as well. I think, well that's just, I think that's just... I think that's two and two together makes 15 because Scott Johnson has gone to Australia, so people automatically make assumptions about what he might, who he might recruit, and who he might have in his phone book. I'm not, I'd, you know, I don't doubt Dave Rennie would want to coach internationally. I just think he's he's a successful coach in Super Rugby, so his name's always going to be attached to any vacancy. Yeah, and he has just signed a new deal, so yeah. it would cost the union money to to buy him out. But maybe the SRU were sort of banking on that when they signed him on that extension. Very possibly. There's a, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to see whether who's, it's hard to see whether the next young Scottish coach is coming for. There's a lot coming through, but there's not really anybody quite ready yet to step into a big role. I think you know, you might have a Mike Blair come through, but he's probably still a few years off that. And you wonder whether that's the plan long term is to get, you know, Rennie to sort of hold the reins for a bit and then have a sort of young Scottish coach come in and and take the reins but I, I don't think there's anybody that's sort of ready to slot straight in No I suppose you've got like, Roddy Grant's on the, the coaching team at Edinburgh isn't he? Well he's off to Ulster like, now next season Oh is he away as well? He's away yep yeah, he's been he's been snaffled by Dan McFarlane yeah so he's off to uh, Ulster um yeah, so it'll be interest, interesting times anyway. But we um, it's interesting because we actually we spoke to uh, Rory Lawson a little bit about this when we were uh, previewing the weekend's games. I had a bit of a chat with him about, about Dan McFarlane at Ulster and how he's getting on. Um, and also a little bit about Johnny Gray's 100th game and uh, Rory Lawson's views on Johnny Gray. So um, have a listen to this and we'll see you on the other side. We're joined now by a man who should need uh, no introductions to listeners of this podcast. It's former Scotland and Edinburgh scrum half turned Premier Sports pundit and commentator Rory Lawson. Rory, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Cammy. Um, now, when we first have someone on a podcast for the first time, we normally ask them what club socks they'd wear if they played for the Barbarians. But um, not only have you played for the Barbarians three times, um, you're also now on the Barbarians committee. Is that right? I am, yes. I bring the average age of the committee down a little bit, but uh, it's, a, it's a great honour uh, and privilege to be a part of it. And it's something that, um, you know, the Barbarians don't have many games throughout the year, but when they come around, just seeing the, the excitement of the, the boys that get invited to, to play for the squad is, is awesome. And I, I really thrive off that. Do you um, did, did you wear the same club socks for all three games you played in? Because it was sort of a little mini tour, wasn't it, in the summer? Yes, it was. Um, I wore. Uh, now you're testing my memory, which isn't great. But I, I think I wore. I think I wore my Gloucester socks for England game, Gloucester socks for the Ireland game at King's Home, and then for Wales at, in Cardiff. I think I wore one Gloucester sock and one Newcastle Falcons sock because that was at the. the the time whereby I was transitioning between the two clubs, um, but it was for, for me it was really special to play at King's Home because I'd been injured um, to, uh, around about February time and was out for for four months, so I didn't have 
a game to sort of sign off my Gloucester career. So it was really special to play in the Barbarians jersey and the and the Gloucester socks. Yeah, do you, I'm, I'm interested to know. Do you wear club different club ties to committee meetings? I wear the Barbarians club tie. Um, there are there are a couple of different iterations. I just have I actually have the the players tie still, um, and yeah, it would typically if you if you wore a different tie in, you're just in danger of being frowned upon by Mickey Steele Bodger, um, who at 90 plus years old is like the Yoda of Barbarians rugby. Um, every Barbarian that there's been over the last 35 years will have stories to tell of Mickey Steele Bodger. He's died twice on tour and been, been brought around. Um, but he is he is quite the character and just encapsulates everything that the Barbarian stands for. Um, I'm just, uh, very quickly before we move on to the Ember game, in terms of the, the way things are looking now with, with the international rugby calendar and, and the debate about how, how um, often players are playing, is, is there still a future, do you think, for the Barbarians? Is, do you get a sense that, that, that games are still going to be easy to come by? I really hope so. I think for me, the the thing that I've really learned in, in my couple of years on the committee is that there's there's still a real appetite from the players in particular for the Barbarians games. I think the way that some uh, coaches of international teams approach it is is really refreshing as well. I, I think um, the, the the use of of the Barbarians and the Barbarians fixture is is very good and differs from team to team uh, but I, I i really believe that the the club is something special it offers something different to that international stage there there are always challenges and i'll, I'll be honest i think du- during the stage towards my end the end of my career and uh, and probably a couple of years either side of it there were questions being asked about the purpose of the barbarians and mainly that came about because the results um, were going against the barbarian side, and the performances were going against the barbarians. But credit to the committee, credit to the coaches, um, and and the promoter of the the barbarians game, because I think the there was a bit of a shift in mindset, shifting a, a bit from players who are retiring out of the game, um, or towards the the end of their careers who might have legendary status or certainly very well established internationals um being you know the 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 heart of that squad to now a real balance between those terrific professionals who are towards the end of their careers but also mixed in with some young hungry talent who are are the next generation of of superstars i think that's worked really well and the results have shown that you know look no further than than Twickenham last May and, and and a really fantastic win for the Barbarians. So I think it's something that the players are excited about. The coaches love being involved in um, the key thing for 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 the Barbarians club is just continuing to get these these big fixtures. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Um, now we we've got you on. We're going to talk about. Um... Ember and Glasgow's games this weekend in the Pro 14 um, and you're providing analysis on both games on Premier Sports um, both Ember and Glasgow are coming off a pretty tough weekend in Europe um, How? I mean, you must have experienced similar things as a player, how do players put that frustration and disappointment behind them because they've got th- both got three really important games ahead of them yeah, I think it's multifaceted for me, and I, I've spoken to a couple of boys this week, and I, I think the the challenge is physical, because you know the intensity of both of those games and the physicality of both of those games on on Saturday was right up there, um, as you'd expect of a European quarter final, and you know for for Glasgow they they tie in a little bit of travel into that as well, so that that side of it is very important, and. There's, there's the mental aspect of regenerating yourself and shifting from the disappointment of a loss into refocusing the mind, which probably would have come around on maybe Tuesday, certainly by Wednesday, you're refocusing to, to the game ahead and your, your body's telling you you can do it again. And then the, fi- the final piece is just emotionally, because that would have taken a lot of, the, a, a lot of energy and emotion out of out of all the players involved, I've seen a lot of photos over the last couple of days of the Edinburgh players in particular, who just looked absolutely devastated, having 
run Munster incredibly close and I think they believed they could have won that game. For Glasgow, it was it ended up being a little bit of a mismatch against a, a rampant Munster side. Uh, but for both sides, the big challenge is get yourselves back up. The easy bit for me is refocusing the mind because you now know you've got a sole focus on the rest of the season and it's Guinness Pro 14 action. And they, they all know they've got three games to put themselves in a position to go into the knockout stages with some momentum and with the ability to, to chase some silverware. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one for Glasgow on Friday night because they're up against quite a resurgent Ulster team and Dan McFarlane's there now as the Ulster coach and he's going to have quite a lot of insight into Glasgow's setup. I mean, is that something you think Glasgow are going to have to have prepared for? I don't think they'll prepare any differently to a a team coached by somebody else. And look, I think Dan McFarlane has been a revelation at Ulster. I think the way that, given the challenges they had last season on and off field, I think the way that he has built his squad, developed his squad, and throughout the season, they just seem to be getting better and better. And that was as good an Ulster performance last week as I have seen for a long, long time. And the challenge for them, really, is now reaching those heights again it's about being able to say to uh, in amongst the squad that's the that's the standard we set do i think glasgow need to change anything no i don't i think glasgow will continue to prepare for the game and focus from within they'll understand the challenges that come through this ulster side but at the same time they'll know that they, they if they if they get their bit right then they're they're in a position to um they'll be in a position to win the game. And it's quite it's quite a strong Glasgow team that, that they've named. It's just come out um, just sort of a few minutes before we're speaking here. Um, Johnny Gray's um, starting for his 100th cap for Glasgow, um, but he's maybe had probably one of his hardest seasons since turning professional. He's struggled a bit for form. He's been benched for Glasgow and Scotland. Um, what's the key, do you think, to, to rediscovering form as a player? Is it, is it a hard thing to do? Form's always a, a, a bit uh, challenging. And I think, I think for, for Johnny... He would have been disappointed to be on the bench last week. Um, you know, he he was he was fully. Fit. I think that was the first time he's he's come off the bench for Glasgow Warriors in in four years. Last week, um, I, th- I thought he came on and and did what Johnny Gray does. He he carries, he tackles, he hits rucks, he he leads the side. Um, and I think for for Johnny, it's just about trying to evolve his game. And you know, it's interesting speaking to Al Kellick about him. Um, and, and and where his opportunities are to develop. And I think his leadership is something, he obviously captained Glasgow last season or the season before, um, and that was that was big pressure for, for a youngster. But 100th game, he's he's been around a long time uh, now, and it's a fantastic achievement. He's gone beyond 50 with Scotland as well. Um, I just want to see a little bit more edge from Johnny Gray. I want him to be the sort of player that oppositions really start start disliking playing against, um, both through his work work rate, um, but also I, I just want to see a little bit more edge to him. Uh, but I think he's a, he's a class operator. He's still so young, um, and but I'd, I'd just like to take to see him take his game onto another dimension. And I think there's no better opportunity for him than to do it in the next month with big big games every game now is a big game for both Glasgow and Edinburgh yeah I mean it's interesting for Glasgow I mean they've, they've confirmed their playoff place but they've still got a bit of work to do to get the home semi-final they've got Ulster this weekend then Leinster away and Edinburgh at home so it's going to be quite a challenge for them um, Dave Rennie and, and John, John Humphreys have both talked about this idea that they didn't have a sort of competitive running last last season because they sort of finished with the home semi so early. Is that do you think that that plays into the hands a bit this season? I think it does. I think when when you look at it as well, um, particularly round twenty, this 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 game's slightly different for me. Um, the week after the quarter final, the players will, you know, for for uh, and I'm thinking um, Munster and Leinster here in particular because when you get to round twenty. I think I'm right in saying you're a week away from the semi-final, and that's when some of the, the the teams might mix up their squads to keep players fresh, and I think that's what, what where it might go into in Glasgow's favour. Albeit a Leinster side, even without their superstars, is still a strong Leinster side. 
Glasgow have the opportunity to go there and pick something up. Um, Munster travel to Benetton next week, and Benetton have been very good this season, um, and I expect that they'll rest a, a lot of their players for that. Um, so I, I think both sides have got a tough running. You know, Glasgow have got Ulster and then away to Leinster and then home to Edinburgh for the next two weeks in particular are huge because that head to head in the final game, you want to know that you're, you want to know that you're going after a playoff space space uh, at worst. And for Glasgow, they want to be going after the holding on to top spots and particularly in, in their conference in conference A. If they can get a couple of wins under their belt in the next few weeks, they'll be in a in a strong position to finish top of the tree. And um, Conference B for Embers maybe a, a, a lot tighter than Conference A. I mean, there's I think there's nine points separating second and fifth at the moment. You've got Embers fourth, travelling to fifth place. Scarlets Scarlets have had a difficult season, just with I think probably with injuries more than anything. Um, it's going to be is it a tough ask for Embers to go down there and get something? Do you think? It is when you when you look at uh, some of the some of the Scarlets contingent that you expect to come back in. You know, all of the Wales guys I, I anticipate will be part of the squad. And you know, when you when you're adding in Rob Evans, Ken Owens, Jake Ball, Gareth Davis, Hadley Parks, Jonathan Davis into that squad, you know, there's that's real strength that that they're adding in. And they, for me, I think Scarlets will believe they can they can sneak into third spot and uh, you know try and upset the apple cart a little bit on that front they, they're the only side i think to have to have done it before and and you know won away semi-finals and they they have done it previously i just think there's there's a bit of a feel good in wales at the moment and they will believe that they can they can climb conference b and get themselves into the mix towards the end of the season um they'll be keen on sending Wayne Pivak off um with with some good performances but so for Edinburgh off the back of that it, it will be a big challenge and but they've and they've not been great on the road this season so Richard Cockrell will make no bones about it and he said before the the last round they need to win all of their games in the running so I do believe they they need to they need to win these games um I think Benetton this weekend are away to Leinster. I don't expect them to win that one. So for me, if Edinburgh win that, then they get themselves into into third spots, and from there, it's in their control. It's um it's going to be an interesting experience for John Barkley this weekend because he's um he got real cult status at Scarlets. Um, I was kind of interested in your take because you must have had a similar experience when you went back to Gloucester when you played for Falcons. How how does that feel as a player when you've played for a club for a long time and maybe got a, a real connection with the fans to then go back and play against them? I think there's a feel good from it to be honest. Um, it's one of the few occasions that. The, that you get recognition from the opposition crowd, um, and and to be honest, one of the few occasions you get a bit of positivity from the opposition crowd because you know you're so used to going away from home and and, and being goaded a little bit um, that it is it is nice to go away to a place whereby you are you're respected for what you did for that club, and I think John will enjoy that uh, this weekend I think he'll, there'll be a fair bit of banter flying around between him and some of the the Scarlets lads on various WhatsApp groups um, but I, I think for, for me he'll he'll enjoy going down there and he'll enjoy playing in, in a ground that he knows very well against players that he knows very well um, and particularly this early on in his comeback from a big injury it just maybe focuses the mind that little bit that little bit more as well so it's a massive challenge. He'll be a key cog within this Edinburgh side going away from home because the, the pressure is on across all fronts and to have nine teams fighting for playoff spots across both conferences says a lot for the competition. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in your experience this season because um, it's your first season, obviously, with, with Premier Sports and you've been doing both punditry and commentary and I was, I was interested to know which, which you prefer doing. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, I've, um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity that, that Premier Sports and Sunset and Vine have given me in being able to take on a, a lead commentary uh, role. And I have to say, um, the, the, the commentary role is significantly tougher, but it's given me a huge appreciation about 
how, what's needed from both roles. Um, and I think for me, going into it, into lead, the lead commentary role, I, you know, I watched I watched the best there's ever been prepare for games, and the way that he went about his work and prepared for every game, whether it was a club game, an international game, um, Melrose Sevens, whatever it was, um, really inspired me to to try and recreate that as much as I can. Albeit, I know that I'll never recreate what what Bill McLaren was to rugby, but at the same time, it it, it gave me a marker, gave me some guidance. Um, he he was an inspirational character, and for me, going into commentary, you're going in cold because I you know I didn't do a dress rehearsal, and I'm sure that that shows. And but I feel like I've developed over the the last six months or so and i feel like i'm getting better week on week and it, it just comes back to exactly the same as what you were as a player you want to improve as a player week on week and that carries whether it's a a, co- a lead commentary role a co-commentary role or the punditry or, or reporter role i love doing it i love the variety um and i've got a, a real sort of appreciation as to what each of the roles needs to to do it well was it the family connection then that, that that led you into the commentating side of things, or was it just something that you sort of felt that you wanted to give a go? Um, yes, uh, yes, and no. Um, I think it's it's like I guess it's like anything with whereby you know following in my dad's footsteps in rugby, I feel that you know there's there's a there's a large element of expectation that comes with that, and you know as as a as a player I. You know, I was I was obviously proud of of what I achieved. Um, at the same time, you you always understand that there are, there are things that you wish you had done a bit better. For me, in transitioning into into broadcasting as a whole, that is something that I was always interested in. And you know, doing my stuff with with Sky uh, or with Five Live or a, any of the other broadcasters, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the transition into lead commentary. Well, it came about obviously through what Papa did, but also I I looked at the broadcasting landscape and and felt that the the punditry role was one that more and more broadcasters were looking at, and it it was recent uh, recently retired players who can give the the player insight as as a fairly fresh insight, and for the long term nature. Of, and opportunity for me, I felt like a shift into that lead commentary role was the best thing for my prospects. So it's something that I, I, I really enjoy the variety, as I say at the moment. Um, but I, I think that I am starting to angle more towards that that lead commentary role um, and the the consistency of that. Um, and and certainly, I, th- I think it's something that I will get better and better at as as time goes by. Yeah, well, I have to say that the feedback we've had on the the Scottish um, coverage of the Premier Sports um, through listeners on the on the podcast and on, on our readers on the blog has been very overall very positive. I think so. It's um, you know it's, it's really it's good to have. I think a, a really good Scottish coverage because it's not something that that we've always had in the Pro fourteen and the Pro twelve um, historically. Yeah, look, I think for me. Um... No matter what role I'm in, whether it's the whether it's the co-coms pundit or or commentator, I I always and it's, it's something that I was always very aware, very wary of from Papa. Um, but I've got a Scottish accent; people know that I'm Scottish. But I'd like to think that my assessment of every game that I do is measured, whether I'm commentating or, or talking about a Scottish team, a Welsh team, an Irish team, Italian team, South African team, whoever's playing and. That's something that I do pride myself on. I get excited about watching good rugby, and I, I get I love I love talking about it. So, um, and you you learn, and I, I've watched rugby probably differently to a lot of people over the last fifteen years or so, um, and listened quite intently to what the the broadcasters are saying. And you know, before I before I took on the lead commentary opportunity, I spoke to some of the best in the business who I had worked alongside and you know whether that's Nick Mullins or Andrew Cotter or Miles Harrison um, you know Mark Robson I, I spoke to all of these guys to, to have a chat about 
what their advice would be, how they go about their work, and then try and bring something a bit different um, through my experiences, obviously, as a former player, because I think there are some things that can be different in that if I'm doing lead commentary alongside Al Kellick and Tina Stelcourt, like I was for Glasgow Cheetahs, then I'm probably not going to ask them about scrum half play, but I can maybe give my opinion and then bring them in for their for their input as well. So it's something that's evolving all the time, but I think the overall the, the, the Premier Sports coverage of the Guinness Pro 14 and the fact that you get to see every game every weekend has, has been a breath of fresh air. And um, I know it was a, a, a channel that was a relative unknown to a lot of people coming into the the competition and into this season but I certainly hope that those who have subscribed feel that they're getting value from it because I think the competition is very good and I think the coverage is excellent Yeah, definitely Well, well, thank you very much for speaking to us Rory It's been a pleasure having you on No worries, thanks for having me um, Let's do Hands in the Rock then um, We've had one submission this week for Hands in the Rock apart from um, Craig's um, one about the um, the P.S. Schumann um, sort of a horrific assault on Tagburn. Um, the one we had, this uh, was by email, um, and I'm going to try and find out. It's from uh, Grant Affleck, um, no relation to Ben, I assume. Um, he said, gents, received my ticket paperwork from the SRU this morning. Uh, seat in the south stand has gone from 69 quid to 78 quid, a whopping £9 uplift, a whopping 13% uplift in a single season. He said his Twickenham ticket was only £55. He said, do we see the SRU looking to profit from the recent form of Scotland? Um, and there's a few people been um, oh, grumbling is the right word, um, about the increase in the season ticket prices for Scotland. Um, and it is, I can see on the one hand, obviously, that, you know, we've Scotland have gone in a few short seasons from struggling to sell out games to selling out every single game at Murrayfield and so there is an element of if an increase in demand is going to lead to an increase in prices but but you also hope that it doesn't get to a point where you start pricing everybody out what do you think Ian? Um, yeah this is the sort of careful balancing act you need to do I mean it's it's expensive enough as it is um, I mean like you said I mean these things it does rely on how the team's performing because you look at the Scottish football team for example yes um and you know when we discussed uh you know when there was the the uh the muting of the the switch of the national football stadium to Murrayfield you know if if you're playing Israel or Albania or whatever you're not going to you know a, a third full Murrayfield is not going to benefit anyone um and there also, is a... Yeah, there's the atmosphere as well, isn't there? Because there is a, a certain po- tipping point, I think, where when people start spending a certain, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know rich people are rubbish, don't create an atmosphere. It's more, I think, when when ticket prices start, when you start pricing families out and start pricing kids out, I think that's when the atmosphere in a stadium starts to change. And you maybe get more of a Twickenham vibe where you've just got people talking all the way through games. You get that bur- that sort of general sort of burble and chat rather than a sort of genuine sporting atmosphere. Uh, yeah, and just the possession of, you know, I think somebody had put a video on Twitter uh, that what they said their seat at Twickenham was like, and it was just a procession of people walking up and down the stairs, blocking their view, going to get beer and food and what have you. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, it's... I mean, it, this is the problem with all these, you know, sites like Via Gogo as well. Um, if you're pricing people, pricing people out who might be genuine fans rather than just people who view it as a day out, uh, you know, that can that can definitely have a knock-on effect. To, uh, you know, I think the crowd can certainly contribute to a team's performance. And if you know, if it's a flat atmosphere, you're probably going to get a flat reaction from the players. Yeah, I think the other disappointing thing they've done is they've they've, they've um take you can still purchase tickets through clubs but it's all done on an online system now whereas in the past you would sort of apply to the club and the club would apply on your behalf and when i've gone to murrayfield in the past and, and had tickets through berwick you, you actually end up sitting next to people from for, for, who've, who've who've similarly got their tickets from berwick even if it's sort of people tangential you know who do you know maybe they're with friends from berwick stuff. so you, it can sort of create quite a nice atmosphere you get these little pockets of people who haven't arranged to go together but, but sort of end up bumping into each other and that's you know 
it's a shame to have lost that. I think um, you know I can understand why they've gone to uh, an online system. It maybe makes it easier, but you know I think what w- what it gains in ease and maybe stopping touts, you kind of lose in that sort of getting to a stadium and you know seeing people that you know. Yeah, and then you can all join in together and buy each other drinks and start start chants. Exactly, yeah. And then only one of you, only one out of the five of you has to go and get uh, get drinks. Um, yeah, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what's had its hands in your ruck this week, then, Ian? Right, well, um, apart from being pulled over by the police. Oh yeah, that wasn't great. Um, but uh, no, it's when um, when we arrived at the Alliance, we got in. We were like, they opened the doors at half twelve. And they stuck the uh, Edinburgh Monster game on the big screen, um, and the majority of Glasgow fans were supporting Edinburgh. I myself was among them. You know, obviously, I'd like to see our uh, rivals, but neighbours from across the way, doing well. It's good for the good for the uh, international players within the setup. Good confidence building for them. But there, uh, there do seem to be a number of Glasgow fans who are actively supporting Munster, hmm. and um, obviously, you know, there's the intercity rivalry there, but. You know, what people seem to be forgetting is this was Munster they were playing against. And we, <laughs> we we really don't like Munster. Um, it's like, like I've got loads of pals in Cork, so you know I've, I've tried liking Munster on their behalf, being like, oh, they'll be happy if Munster do well. But let's be honest, Munster, the, the Bern incident is yet another kind of example we could, could chuck into the God Munster, a bit of a shower of not very nice people, uh, you know, evidence. Um, so yeah, I was I was quite surprised. With this. I don't. That's what's hands in Maroc is people who are supporting Munster, Scottish people who are supporting Munster over Edinburgh. Well, Unless you've got anybody, a direct. Like, I think anybody supporting Munster who isn't a Munster fan, surely that's yeah. <laughs> that's where we draw the line. <laughs> Despicable behaviour. Um, no, I just thought it was a bit odd. Uh, unless you know, unless you've got family connections to to Southern Ireland, there. Um, why would you support Munster? Yeah. Yeah, they've cheated us a number of times out of stuff. They've cheated right. everybody out of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're monster. That's what they Lessons do. Get your money, eh? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Anybody, anybody that supports monster that isn't a monster fan, shame, shame on you and a pox on your house. Um, my um, my hands in the ruck is the uh, the symposium, the World Rugby Symposium, and the the laws that are going to be proposed. I'm I'm, I'm undecided about them. Um, so I don't, I don't even know if I'm enjoying the hands in the ruck or whether this is a grumble. Um, there's a few being suggested. I mean, the 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 ones that I I like. I like the idea of having, um, apart from the, the the sort of citing commissioner taking an active part in disciplinary on field discipline. Um, not the TMO obviously because that's a different issue, but more that that if someone gets a yellow card, the citing commissioner looks at it then or there and then to decide if it's a red or not. Because we've seen a number of occasions where you know someone's been given a yellow or hasn't been sanctioned or has there's just been a penalty and then after a game a second commission has gone oh that should have been red or that should have been yellow you know it should have been yellow but you know there's no ban in it it affects it it does affect the outcome of games and until you start having more on field sanctions then players behaviour is not going to change so I think I quite like that I think that's a good thing I don't I'm hoping we don't. I, I, it sounds like it's going to be something that's sort of done away from the flow of the match. I think that's probably a good thing. Rather than having sort of the Ben Skeen check a chick every mm-hmm. five minutes, it's more something that they'll quietly review in their own time anything that's been flagged up by the referee. And even if it's sort of 20 minutes down the line and the game's still going, they might say, look, listen, we've had a look at that incident 20 minutes ago. It's a, it's a yellow card you need to get them off or it's a red card. You need to reduce them to 14. Um so I like that. I don't know how you feel about it, Ian. Um, no, yes. You know, when you were saying, you know, like, uh, you know, if you see players get yellow carded, then it's upgraded, upgraded to red. That sort of, at the time, it's more beneficial to the future opponents of the, the person who committed the foul rather than the, the team they were playing at the time. So, yeah, I think uh, sort of more real-time judgings would be appropriate. Um, what what do you think about this this sort of the take on the the forty twenty kick? Yeah, and this is the bit where I'm not sure about. This is the bit where I don't. I I get that that I 
think the the theory behind it I like I like the idea that that this uh, for people that don't know the idea is if you're kicking from within your own half and you the you kick and it it has to bounce out and it bounces out in the 22 uh in the 22 bounce out of touch in the 22 then you the 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 team that's kicked it gets the gets an attacking line out and the idea is that you uh, the defense will have to have more players in in the back line in the backfield to cover that kicking threat so there'll be less players in the defensive line so you'll get a more attacking game because attacks will be able to find more punch more holes in defenses i i like that idea what i think will happen though is we'll go to where we were somewhere in the mid 2000s where you just you if you've got a Finn Russell on your team if you've got a Stuart Hogg on your team if you've got someone that can send these huge spiraling kicks out <laughs> in the 22 that's what's going that's all that's going to happen you're not going to see more attacking running rugby you're just going to see teams who've got kickers just going for lineouts and we that's all we're going to we're just going to, it's going to be a territory game and i don't want to say yeah. we we've we've got to a point where generally most games you're getting tries now there's incentives you know you're getting much more running attacking rugby than where we were in the mid 2000s where it was just kicking but i think that's where we'll end up i don't think you'll end up with running rugby i think you'll end up with kicking yeah i do think it would could just descend into a game of kick tennis um i mean so i think somebody had done a sort of um well what would be a a start from the Six Nations. I think there's maybe only eight or nine throughout the whole competition where, where the, that would have applied. I think the thing is though, it's, it's, you, they can say, "Well, there's only eight or nine, but that's because there's only eight or nine because they, no one's going for it. Because you're getting a defense. Because you get a defense. You, 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 although you've got good attacking position, you're having to, you know, most of the time the defensive team will claim the line out unless you're Scotland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably do something horrendous like overthrow it and. <laughs> Uh, but generally, most of the time, the defence are going to do a nice, safe line-out jump, hit, you know, form a mall, or just go 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 to ground with a ruck, get it back, and get and clear the lines. Whereas, if the incentive is that you're getting an attacking line-out, I think you'll just see the number of those kicks increase. So I don't think it's it works as a direct comparison. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, they're obviously going to trial it at some point. I, I like the theory behind it. I'm not. Sure. I think I. But I can already see what's going to happen, and I don't think I don't think the outcome is going to be what they think it will be. Um, the other suggestion is the under twenty um, championship in June. They had citing commissioners issuing high tackle warnings to any player who had deemed to have been upright or not bent the waist in the tackle. Uh, each tackle warning counted as one strike, and if you got two strikes, you would be suspended for a game. And that's quite an, that could be quite an interesting thing for a World Cup. It's sort of like a, a technical foul kind of uh, call. Is maybe classified in basketball. Um, yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting because it, it, I suppose it, it's it's encouraging proper tackle technique. Yeah, but you know if they're saying if you do so if you do two in a game you get banned for the next game. Yep. But do do, do you get any sanction during the game or? Well, no, because it's not about um, it's it's a high, it's not about. Well, I suppose it's it's the high tackles where you're not going to get a card, isn't it? It's sort of something less than a card. So if it's a, you know, the, I'm thinking the the um, George North on Ali Price, that that one, you know, where he got him, he had it sort of had him around the neck, and it was more a height difference thing, and it was a penalty to Scotland, but there was no card for North because it the referee sort of took into account mitigating circumstances. That might have been a high tackle warning, and if there'd been another one similar sort of an accidental high tackle or something that doesn't justify a card although they're all supposed to justify cards it's a nonsense it's a nonsense <laughs> we don't know where we are with this stuff that's the problem it's, it's an absolute shambles it's a exactly. mockery of a sham of a sham of a mockery yeah um yeah so watch watch this space for the for those laws um lots of stuff coming out generally they're trying to encourage more attacking rugby and keep things safer so the the, the idea behind it is 
uh, aside from all the other terrible ideas world rugby have generally where they tinker with the laws generally that the, the ideas behind it are genuine and sound it's just that actually when they put these things into place everybody just thinks of a way around them and they have to change it again so yeah yeah although i mean they had that um in the anglo Welsh cup they were doing the uh the the nipple height tackle route, yeah and, and then they saw an increase in concussions yeah um, so it was uh yeah who knows who knows where we'll end up with this um but for the minute anyway that is it from us from this week um we um I think we'll hopefully be back next week um, to look back at the Pro 14. We'll probably have a chat about Rory's uh, World Cup squad articles just to see where we are in the state of things. Um, so don't forget, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, subscribe to us as well. Get in touch in the normal ways. Um, but for now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Ian. Cheerio. <laughs>